Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. This is the day the Lord has made and we can rejoice and be glad in it. I can tell you one thing, this is number three. And after the second service, I'm convinced if I lived anywhere in driving distance, Faith Assembly would be my home church. Come on, this church rocks. Wow, thank you. Thank you for being such a healthy local church that's having a global impact. What you're doing around the world is phenomenal. And uh, offerings like today and initiatives like this have led to, did you know, that there are 10 times more Assemblies of God churches than there are McDonald's restaurants in the world. And that's because churches just like this have this conviction that everybody has a right to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I want to thank you for that. Great churches aren't built accidentally. Trust me, I'm in different churches every week. And here's what I can tell you. It takes the blessing of the Lord. It takes a called community of people like you that understand what a church is and what it's to do. But it also takes called and anointed and capable leadership. And here's what I can tell you. When it comes to called, capable, and anointed leadership, you have the absolute best sitting right down there in the front row. And I just want to thank Pastor Carl and Sister Alice for your ministry, your leadership, your influence around the world. Mm, Praise the Lord. Anybody a little COVID-19 fatigue in the house? (laughs) I never saw this coming. I was never given a playbook in my ministerial training on how to lead a a country, a group of churches through a pandemic. It's, It's crazy. And uh, I've even discovered there's a few people kind of edgy as a result. Anybody met anybody a little edgy as a result of what we're going through? You know, but I'm not sure all of our edginess can be contributed to COVID-19 or race relations. I think sometimes we get a little edgy because we forget the words of the Lord. Don't be too hard on yourselves. It happened to the disciples In Mark chapter 6, the Bible talks about Jesus came to the end of a day of teaching and ministry, praying for the sick. He was exhausted. So he comes and he gets in the boat with his disciples and he says, guys, let's go to the other side of the lake. As soon as he gets in the boat, he finds a place he falls asleep. Halfway across the lake, a storm whips up, a furious storm. The disciples get all wigged out and they go and they wake up Jesus. They said, Lord, we're going to drown. Can you imagine? Can you imagine waking up Jesus and blaming him that you're going to drown? You see, they forgot his words. He said, I want to go to the other side of the lake. And can I tell you, if Jesus says you're going to get to the other side of the lake, you're going to get to the other side of the lake. And so I think in these days of ever-changing announcements and you never know what one week holds from the other, sometimes, sometimes, we just have to remember the words of the Lord. We have to remember simple scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. They're plans to give you a future and a hope. We have to remember Psalm 46. It says, God is my refuge. God is my strength. And God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. So today, that's what I want to do. 
I want to give us about a 25-minute break from looking at life horizontally. Because how many of you know when you look at life horizontally, it can get pretty stressful. It's filled with a lot of human stuff. And I want to take a break and look at life vertically from his word. In fact, I've entitled my teaching today, A Psalm of Calm in a Time of Crisis. There's a little six-verse psalm found in the book of Psalms that I suspect many in this room know. It's only six verses, but it's filled with a lot of truth of what we can depend on from God in crazy days. Now, I know some of you know it. In fact, I'm going to prove that because I'm going to start reciting this psalm. And when I quit talking, I want you to fill in the blank. The very first verse of this psalm goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... He makes me lie down in, yeah, and leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the, of the, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy and thy, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over Surely and shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, come on, say it with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Come on, say it again. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, great psalm. A psalm that was meant to inspire calm. You see that in just how personal God was to David. And from this six-verse psalm, there are about six things that I think you and I can expect from God when we're walking through crazy, uncertain days like we're in in today's time. Let's pick it up right at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I would submit to you, faith assembly, that we can expect that God will meet our needs. We can expect that God will meet our needs. It might look different than what you had in mind. It may be different from how he meets your other family members' needs. But here's what I know. We serve a God whose name is Jehovah Jireh, a God that can provide for us. We serve a God whose name is El Shaddai. He is more than enough. He is a plentiful God. And I've discovered that we can expect that God will meet our needs. And he starts right out by telling the people of God, expect me to meet your needs. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. I would suggest that we can expect God to lead us to paths of peace where we can relax. How many of you think nationally we could use a few paths of peace right now? where we could relax. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we have to be taught and even forced to relax. But I've discovered that God's love, God's love is so all-encompassing. It's so extensive. It's so unique for his people that he will help you find a path of peace where you can relax. He goes on to say in verse 3, he restores my soul or he refreshes my soul and guides me along the right path for his namesake. Uh, That verse tells me that we can expect God will replenish our strength and guide us to right paths. 
No doubt many today are completely exhausted. They're running on fumes, and that exhaustion is real. That, that, that weariness is real. But so, too, is the strength that God provides. So, too. You see, whether you're dealing with a virus, whether you're dealing with raw political tensions, whether you're dealing with division in your family, do I get vaccinated, do I not get vaccinated, all these kinds of things, I want you to know that God's interested in restoring your soul and guiding you along the right path. You say, Doug, do you really believe that? Yes, I do. I believe he'll meet my needs. I believe he'll care for my soul. I believe he'll guide me along the right path because I believe in God's word. You see, sometimes the best thing you can do is to take a Fox News and a CNN news break. You need to start listening to God talk rather than news broadcast talk. Start listening to God talk rather than self-talk. Because here's what I've discovered about God talk and God promises. God has both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise he made. Have you ever been the victim of a broken promise? You know, when people break their promise, it's usually because of two things. They don't have integrity, they don't follow through on what they say they would do, or they don't have ability. But I'm delighted today to agree with you that we have a God who's got both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise he made. And that's encouraging. And so, yes, I do believe in this. You know, I discovered the power of God's Fulfillment on his word my freshman year in in Bible college. So I'm a I'm a third generation Pentecostal preacher's kid, right? I was born and raised in this thing. I cut my teeth in the back of church pews. My mom was the minister of music. My dad was the pastor. Um, can I tell you, I was left many Sunday nights sleeping in the pew. Dad thought mom was going to take me home. Mom thought dad was going to take me home. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, you can sing all you want, Waymaker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Dark. As you wake up, the lights are out in a church. That's a spooky place to wake up. I'm just telling you. You hear things you shouldn't hear. Oh, I love the church. I, I knew which Sunday school teacher served the best snacks. So if the second service got going a little too long, I would find that supply closet and I would chow down on double stuff Oreo cookies, baby. I love the church. When I was nine years old, my dad died suddenly of a massive heart attack. He was only 40. My brother was 15, my sister was 18, and my mom found herself as a single mom. Now, I never grew up feeling disadvantaged being raised by a single mom because, well, first of all, I was a part of a great church like Faith Assembly where I had a lot of spiritual dads. I had Royal Ranger commanders who helped me build my Pinewood Derby car. I had youth sponsors that would take me to Detroit Tiger baseball game. I I want to tell you, growing up, I kind of felt sorry for kids who only had one dad. (laughs) Uh, Let me put a sidebar comment here. First of all, this morning, if you're here or you're watching online at one of our campuses or just in the online community, if you're here today and you're a single mom, I want to tell you two things. First of all, you're my hero. And secondly, you can make it. You can make it. I promise you can make it. There's a dispensation of the grace of God. But it be to your advantage to take 
advantage of the spiritual fathers in this church. And I call on the men of this church to step up and be the answer to some single mom's prayer by being spiritual dads to single moms who come here and are looking for that kind of influence and role model for their children. So it was in the context of the local church I felt God's call in my life to be a pastor. And I took off to Bible college. And man, that's when it happened. I started meeting other preacher's kids. In fact, my roommate was a preacher's kid from Carlinville, Illinois, and on the weekends he would go home and his dad would give him an opportunity to take part in service or be a part of church council meetings, and he would come back. We'd stay up late Sunday night, early hours Monday morning, just talking church stuff. He would say things like, my dad said this is how we ought to do assimilation. My dad said this is how we ought to do leadership development. My dad said this is how we ought to do community transformation. My dad said, my dad said, my dad. And for one of the first times in my life, I felt like I had been cheated by God. I thought, Lord, I would like a dad that would walk out pastoral principles with me. I'd like a dad that would mentor me in these ministry concepts. I don't know if you've ever been there, but can I just tell you, church, whenever you go through one of those why is this happening to me type times, if you're not careful, you'll have a tendency to want to listen to yourself rather than the truth of God's word. And that's kind of dangerous because I don't know about you, myself lies to me at times. But God's word will never lie to me. And I'm processing this thing. I'm, God, you're unfair. It's not just, I, I was ready to quit school, go home and take care of my mom. I remember one night calling home saying, Mom, connect the dots for me on this. I don't, why would God do something so unjust to our family? And like only a godly pastor's wife, mom can do. She said, honey, I can't answer your whys, but I can promise you this. And my mom broke into this really, really cool prayer. Her prayer went something like this. Lord, you said in your word. <laughs> I got to tell you, I grew up with my mom using that phrase an awful lot. This is my third service. I'm feeling right at home at Faith Assembly, so I'm going to confess something to you. I'm 58 years old. I'm the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, but I got to tell you, I don't think everything my mom said was in the book was really in the book. <laughs> I think sometimes she said that to leverage her authority against us boys. But this time and in this prayer, she was spot on. She said, Lord, you said in your word you would be a father to the fatherless, and I claim that reality for my son, Doug. She said amen. We hung up, and I didn't feel any better. I was still convinced quitting school was the best thing to do besides God was unjust, and why would I want to go into a ministry for an unjust God? It was two days later in a chapel service. There was a missionary there, and he challenged students to go where God was leading them. And all these students came forward singing, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. And I didn't. I just turned around, and I knelt in my chapel seat. And by this time, I wasn't even praying. I was just venting frustrations to God. God, this stinks. Why would you do something? And all of a sudden, I felt the strength and the warmth 
of a large hand placed on my back. I turned around and I looked and there was Coach Arnold, Forrest Arnold, basketball coach, athletic director, Central Bible College, six foot six, 250 pounds, just a hulk of a man. And he had his paw, I mean his hand on my back. <laughs> and when I turned and I looked, he had a crocodile tear coming down his cheek. He said, Duggar, I knew your dad. We went to school together. I know your mom. Both of them would be really proud of you. And then it happened. He took his hand and he put it to his sho my shoulder and he pulled me really tight into himself. And he said these words to me. He said, Duggar, as long as you're at Central Bible College, I consider you like my own son. And when he said, son, I jumped up and I tried to hug him and he hugged me and I snotted and cried all down the front of my shirt. And in the middle of that embrace, church, I heard the words of a godly mom 48 hours earlier that said, Lord, you said in your word. Listen, I can't promise you that life is going to be hassle-free. I can't promise you there's not going to be more health interruptions, hostility towards the church. I can't promise you that your family members aren't going to divide over political issues or vaccine issues. I can't promise you that good people aren't going to disappoint you. But I can promise you, though mountains may crumble and seas run dry, the word of our God stands forever. His word is true. And in these days of unpredictability, there is nothing like the word of God that can protect your emotions and protect your understanding like that of Scripture. That's why your pastors place such a high priority on the word of God. Because it works. God's word works. There's a fourth thing we can expect from God right out of verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the darkest of valleys... I don't have to fear evil because you're close to me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. I would submit to you, church, what this verse screams at me is this. We can expect that God will walk with us when things get worse before they get better. We can expect that God will walk with us close when things get worse. Now, there are four times the Bible talks about valleys. There's the valley of calamity in Joshua chapter 7. There's the valley of weeping in Psalm 84. There's a whole book about living in a valley, and that's the book of Hosea. But here the psalmist talks about a deep, dark valley. Let me shed some light on some dark valleys for a moment. First of all, dark valleys are inevitable. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Secondly, if you discover dark valleys are unpredictable, they come at the worst time. Have you ever had a flat tire at a convenient time? <laughs> They're impartial. But the good news is dark valleys are temporary. They have an expiration date. And the psalmist says that God wants to be close to us. And how does, he, how does he remain close to us? He's got this rod in the staff. The rod is what he uses to protect and defend us. The, the staff is what he uses to draw himself to us. Because he wants us to be close to him when things get worse. When we feel vulnerable, when we feel powerless. He uses his staff to draw us close to himself. I've never seen that imagery before. 
I've always understood that if I draw nigh unto the Lord, the Lord will draw nigh unto us. But the psalmist paints this picture of a loving God who's a great shepherd that he uses this staff to draw us close to him. And I would submit to you that sometimes there's nothing like just the presence of God to give you a perspective relief when you're going through crazy days. Sometimes when you can't explain it, when there's no right answer, when, you, when, when both sides of your family are on either side and no matter what you say, you're going you're gonna to offend one. There's nothing quite like just the presence. That's why coming to church is so important because it gives you a break from looking at life through human lenses and through news broadcast lenses and all of a sudden you can look up and be reminded that he's a way maker, promise keeper, that his presence is an open door to, to, to insights. I suspect I learned the power of presence from my oldest grandson, Jackson. Hey, let me ask, are there any grandparents in the house? If you're a grandparent, just kind of wave it. Isn't grandparenting a blast? We love it. We just are, we're all into it. We have seven grandchildren ages nine to two. And uh, here's what I've discovered. The reason why grandparents and grandkids get along so well it's because we have the same common enemy, their parents. <laughs> and so we have some, and, and Jackson, about three years ago, Jackson and I decided that it would be okay for him to have an overnighter at Papa's house without his mom. Now, it took a lot of convincing. We had to tag team together to bring her to that realization, but we finally got her to, to concede. And so I'll never forget the day I drove over to pick him up, I pulled in the driveway and he was standing in the door with his Spider-Man backpack just filled with stuff and jammies and video or DVDs. And I pulled in, he said, Papa, Papa. I said, Jackson. And I walked up to get him. I grabbed his hand. We turned to walk away. His mom, my firstborn, <clears throat> cleared her throat and said, Dad, Dad? I said, yeah. She handed me a three-by-five card with a set of six very specific instructions. <laughs> like, I got this. I started reading these instructions. I got down to instruction number three. It said, Dad, comma, after 6 p.m., please make sure you put two parts water, one part apple juice in his sippy cup. Well, I thought, first of all, we don't do mixed drinks at Papa's house. <laughs> we are 100% Dr. Pepper at Papa's house. <laughs> two parts water, one part of yeah. All right, babe, I got this. We got in the truck. I tore that card up. I said, come on, Jackson. We're going to have fun at Papa's house. And we did. We played wiffle ball. We played hide and go seek. We watched Paw Patrol cartoon. It was awesome. He got his bath, got his jammies on, was about to go to bed. At just about the time it was bedtime, a southwest Missouri storm whipped up. I mean, it was a doozy of a storm. It was pounding thunder and flashing lightning, and I could tell he was a little anxious. And I said, little buddy, you want to sleep in Papa's room? And he said, yeah, I do, yeah, I do. So I made him a bed just down on my side of the bed, some blankets and some pillows, and I said, now lay down, little buddy, and he lay down, and boom, there'd be a crack of thunder. He'd jump up. I said, you're okay, lay down. 
There'd be a flash of light. He'd jump up. I couldn't convince him that storm on the outside wouldn't hurt him. He'd lay down. There'd be another thing. He'd jump up. This happened four times. Finally, I said something. Now, if you ever just said something, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know who programmed it. And I, I said something to him. It makes no meteorological sense. makes no theological sense. It just, it just sort of came out. About the fifth time he jumped up, I said, little buddy, you don't have to be afraid of thunder. After all, thunder is nothing more than just God moving his furniture up in heaven. <laughs> oh, don't judge me, lady. Do not judge me. You would have put Robitussin in his sippy cup, so don't judge me. He said, oh, okay, so he laid down. Next crack of thunder, he popped up. I'm like, cool, I'll let his kid's pastor work on his theology. I just want him to fall asleep. So I roll over thinking he's all good with that explanation, and then a boomer of a thunder. I mean, it just reverberated for several miles, and although I'm laying this way on my side, I could feel a set of eyes just looking, just feel. And sure enough, when I rolled over, he was there, and I wasn't standing all the way up. He was just looking above the mattress. Just, but boy, his eyes were huge. And when I turned over, before I could say anything to him, he said, Papa, you think that I could lay with you till God quits moving his furniture? <laughs> I said, you bet, little buddy. And when I picked him up, and I put him right down next to me, he was out. He was out. I couldn't convince the little tyke that the storm on the outside wouldn't hurt him on the inside. But as long as he was in close proximity to Papa, he had a sense of security to be able to rest comfortably to fall asleep. I'm telling you, friends, sometimes you just need to know he's as close as the mention of his name. Sometimes you need to know his name is a mighty strong tower where the righteous can run and are safe. You need to know that he will sustain you and uphold you with his righteous right hand. And the presence of God isn't limited to just being in this house, but you can experience the presence of God in your house. You can experience the presence of God in your car. You can experience the presence of God at your job. Because we live in days and times where, I'm telling you, there's just no right answer. In fact, the answer you come up with sometimes creates more anxiety. That's why you just call on the name of the Lord. Just call on the name of the Lord. In fact, sometimes you just need to sing a little louder. Just sing a little louder in your unbelief. You know that song, Raise a Hallelujah? I love those lines. Sing through your unbelief. Sing through the mystery. Sing through the storm. And once you're singing, sing a little louder because there is nothing like the manifest presence of the Lord to give you a sense of perspective that you otherwise won't have. So you can expect that God wants to get close to you and he takes this staff and draws you into himself so that you can feel his presence. Verse 5 says, you prepare a banquet before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. I would submit to you that that tells me that we can expect from God that he will give to us divine favor. Divine favor. Now, don't misinterpret this verse. This verse is not saying that um, you reach some level of spiritual maturity where you'll never have any problems. Right? 
I mean, we're not immune. Christians are not immune from sickness and disease. Christian, our spiritual status doesn't make us immune to difficulties in this world. But what this verse does tell me is that God will show favor on us in front of our enemies. That's why we'll have a peace when everybody else is panic-filled. That's why we'll have a sense of, of calmness about us. Because he goes on to say in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Now, I promise you it might not feel like it, but there's not one single day for those who are Christ's followers that God's goodness and God's mercy are not following you. He's got goodness. He's got mercy following you all of the days of your life. And then he goes on to say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what that tells me? That we can expect to be with God in heaven someday really, really soon. We can expect to be with God in heaven someday really soon. You see, life here on earth is just a dress rehearsal for all of eternity. And I find it interesting, not only did the psalmist cause people to look heavenward when he was trying to bring a sense of calmness it's the same thing jesus did with his disciples remember in john 14 when christ was about ready to 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 be ascended back to heaven and told him he was sending the holy spirit but disciples were still wigged out they were anxious filled and jesus comes along and says look don't let your hearts be trouble if you believe in god believe also in me for in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you will be also. I'm telling you, church, heaven is not a figment of our imagination. Heaven is not some concept that we've come up with in the church. Heaven is a very real place where God dwells, where Jesus is at, and pretty soon God is going to send Jesus back to take us home to be with him. And heaven is a real reality that we can look forward to. I love it. I love it. It's no wonder people my mom's age say things like, I'm so homesick for heaven. It's because they understand heaven is a prepared place. But it's a prepared place for prepared people. It's not up to us to get to heaven safely. That's God's job. But it is up to us to accept Jesus Christ into our lives to assure us a spot in heaven. And so the psalmist, who's very personal with David, it reminds him that he's going to provide for him, that he's going to emotionally take care of him, that he's going to lead him, even in the dark valleys, ends by saying, look, goodness and mercy are going to follow you while you're here on earth, but don't forget, you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask John to come back in uh, Psalm 23. Ah, love it. A psalm that many in this room actually know by heart. It's chucked full with spiritual truths about God's desire to be close to us. You know, if I could, if I could just give you a few thoughts to take away from this psalm to dwell upon this week, here's what they would be. Thought number one, God is in control. I said, God is in control, but you have to let him lead. Secondly, life is full of valleys. Deep, dark 
unexpected, but valleys were never intended to camp out in, but to walk through. See, the longer you camp out in a valley, the more the enemy comes in and causes you to develop a victim mentality. And for a child of God, we're not a victim. And yet that's what he will do in that valley. He'll cause you to start looking at other people and circumstances and blame that rather than for looking for the staff, the staff that draws you close to himself. And the third truth I would give you from this psalm is this, heaven's real. Heaven is spot on real. And God's prepared it for you and me. I thought about this on Saturday night as we entered the first of three services here. And this was my thought. You know, if God was right on in his timing and his purpose of sending his son the first time, and we know he was. We celebrate that every Christmas that, that the word became flesh and in the fullness of time, God sent us. We know that he was right on in fulfilling his promise to send his son the first time. If he was that right on, I promise you he'll be spot on in sending his son the second time. And this morning, if you're here and you don't live with the full assurance that if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven. You don't live with the full confidence that you belong to him and he belongs to you. You don't live with this full understanding that you've been adopted into God's forever family. You don't have to live with that lack of confidence. In fact, I can't imagine doing life without being fully aware and convinced that you're a child of God, the sheep of his pasture, the people of his hand. In fact, every time you hear of somebody passing, it causes anxiety in you because you've never come to that place where you've crossed the line of living for yourself and saying, hey, God, I invite you into my life. Oh, you know a lot about the church. You come to church. You know people are on staff at the church. You know the song. But if you're honest, you'd say, Pastor Clay, I've never, I've never with my mouth confessed and in my heart I believed that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. This morning, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you and I'm not going to have you come forward. I simply want to encourage you to discover Christ as your Savior. I'll tell you, it takes, it, when you do that, worship takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> But I can't imagine living with the uncertainty that if you were to die, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. But God today in his love is saying, receive my son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. Would you pray with me, please? I'd ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And here's what I want to do. If you're here today and you'd say, Doug Clay, would you include me in your final prayer? I don't know for certain that I'm a child of God. I know there's some sin in my life and I, I know I'm not where I should be spiritually and, 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 and I've, never really, I've never really lived with that confidence that I've been fully adopted by God. Then today we can change that. I'm not gonna embarrass you and have you come forward, but if I can include you in my final prayer while everybody else is head bowed and eyes are closed, 
I want to pray for you. So if you'd say, Doug, include me in your prayer. I want to make Christ both my Savior and my Lord in my life. I'd like you just to raise your hand and look at me right now. All over this place. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I want to make eye contact. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. God bless you. <clears throat> God bless you. Someone else in the balcony. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, God bless you. Listen, raising your hand and praying a prayer to invite Christ in your life doesn't mean you have to join a church. It doesn't mean you have to like start doing a bunch of things. It just simply means you're tired of living for yourself and you wanna discover your divine design. And you're only going to discover that divine design by asking Christ to come into your life. And when you invite Christ into your life, you're going to love the very last phrase of Psalm 23 because it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.